0: Well, what's wrong, Callie Mae? Are there kidnappers?
1: No, it's not kidnap. Wait a second. Who'd want to kidnap a puppet?
0: Mm, don't ask me. Maybe to hold you for ransom or something.
1: Do you really think so? I wouldn't doubt it. I'm sure you're worth a lot. Oh no, I have to hide.
0: Here, Callie Mae, hide down here. I'll keep a lookout. None of these people look like criminals, Callie Mae. What did he look like?
1: Who? The kid, er, puppet napper. Oh, the one who was, wait a second, there wasn't any puppet napper. There wasn't? No.
0: Then why did you come running in here yelling help?
1: I have a problem at home.
0: Oh, no. Don't tell me you blew up the microwave again.
1: Of course not. And what do you mean again? Well, remember that time that you put an Arby's wrapper in the microwave and the whole thing started smoking and then there was sparks and... Yeah, yeah, I remember. But that's the forgotten past.
0: (laughs) (laughs) The past, maybe, but certainly not forgotten.
1: Well, it should be forgotten. That's what happened back when I was little. Kelly Mae, it happened just last week. Well, um, anyway. No, it's not the microwave.
0: The toilet flooded? No. The dog got out?
1: No. Then what's the problem? See, every time I try to talk to my younger sister, mean words fly out of my mouth. You mean you speak unkindly to her? You could put it that way, but I prefer to think of it as words flying out of my mouth. That's the way I'm not responsible. I can't control it.
0: Whoa, whoa. You're right about one thing, though. Words are hard to control. James says, but no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison.
1: Deadly poison? I didn't realize it was that bad. It's hard to think of it that way, Callie Mae, but Proverbs says that a broken spirit dries up the bones. Oh no, that's horrible. Because the verse said that, no one can tame a tongue. It's hopeless. I'm ruined.
0: Not completely ruined, Callie Mae. You've forgotten that in Philippians, Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's true, without God's help, we're hopeless. But with Jesus on our side, we can claim the victory, even over our tongues.
1: So how do I go about claiming this victory? I can think of two things to do. Yeah, what's that?
0: First, Callie Mae, ask God to guard your mouth. Psalm 141.3 says, Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips.
1: Will asking God to guard my mouth really help? I believe so. Proverbs also says, He who guards his mouth and his tongue guards his soul from troubles. But don't forget that we can't guard our mouths on our own. We must ask God to let the words of our mouths be acceptable in his sight. Okay, I can do that. What's the second thing?
0: I think we should practice. Josie will pretend to be your little sister and she is in your room. When you come in, you have to say something. If you say something godly, the audience will cheer for you.
1: And if I must say mean things,
0: then the audience and I will say boo. Mm.
1: Okay, let's try it.
0: All right, is everybody ready out there? Right. Cheer. Callie Mae says nice things, but boo she says mean things.
1: Okay. Let's see how I do. This is not easy. You little hooligan! this is my room. You better get out. No name calling. I'll try. All right, Kelly Mae, we can do this. Let's see. What are you doing in my room? It's mine. Get out right now.
0: Ooh. Oh. Hmm. Instead of ordering her around, try to make your words kind.
1: Kind. Hmm. That's new. I'll try it. Y'all yeah, pray for me. <laughs> Please get out of my room!
2: Boo!
1: <laughs> well, the words are okay, Callie Mae. Try saying it pleasantly. Pleasantly?
0: Wait, I have an idea, Callie Mae. Talk to her the way you would like to be talked to.
1: Oh, you mean the golden rule? Do unto others as you have others do unto you? That's right, but that's not just some little rule. Jesus said it. Jesus? You mean Jesus wants me to talk to my sister kindly too?
0: You bet. You remember that Uh, verse, in James, that I told
1: you about? uh Uh-huh. Well, the next verse says that with our tongue we bless our Lord and Father... And with it, we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. What is that supposed to mean?
0: Everybody was created in the likeness of God. When we speak to them, me, it's like we're talking to God that way. Jesus says that whatever we do to the least of them, we're doing it to him.
1: That's pretty serious. I think so. Okay. I think I'm ready now.
0: All right, let's try this again.
1: Okay, I think y'all need to pray a little bit harder this time. All right, here we go. Josie, what are you doing in my room? Don't you remember I like to have my room all to myself. How about coming out and we can play Uno together?
0: Yay! Yay.
1: That was awesome, Callie Mae! You really think so? I really do. It
0: wasn't so hard, was it?
1: Nope. Once I tried to speak to her the way I'd like to be spoken to, it was easy as pie. Uh Uh-oh. What now? Um... Callie Mae? Well, I've forgotten. Forgotten what? Well, I was heating up a piece of pie in the microwave. I don't like the sound of this. Well, I forgot that pie pan was aluminum. And well, you know, aluminum is sort of a um a metal. Well, our microwave is sort of acting funny.
0: Oh no, Callie Mae, not the new microwave.
1: Yep. You want to come help me fix it? Not, not really. really. Whoa, whoa, but you said to do unto others as you have them to them. Okay. Okay. You're right. Let's That's go right. look at Let's this look microwave. At microwave. Thank you. Bye everybody. Bye. It's
3: wow, we can learn a lot from those guys, can't we? Our children are being dismissed to their room over to my right, your left, as they come. Give them a, give them a hand as they come across the head of the class, <laughs> would you? We're thankful for our children and we're thankful for those who minister to them and teach each Sunday. We're blessed. Thank the Lord. And I want to say thank you to uh, to Chris Bradford and to uh, Ron Bomar and to um, Dennis, um, who taught on Wednesday night. While we were away last Wednesday and Sunday, everybody just stepped in and did what needed to be done and did such a great job. I've heard about it, so thank you so much for being here, and it's good to be back. And I can't wait to share the word with you this morning. I hope you are willing to think with me a little bit this morning. Will that strain anybody or hurt anybody's feelings if if we have to think a little bit this morning? It might. (laughs) You're telling the truth. Uh, You know, typically we don't like to think. We don't like to grapple with things sometimes. And uh, what I'm going to share with you this morning will at least require your attention uh, for a while as we go through this. And I think you will see that the Lord will speak to our hearts. And I believe you will have more confidence in the Word of God when we finish today than you had before. I think what we're going to share with you will strengthen your faith in the Word and help us understand that God's Word is true. And we can take it to the bank. And it's logical. It, it really does make sense uh, in a lot of ways. So, um, I have entitled this message, um, Are Diamonds Really Forever? Have, how many of you have ever heard the phrase, Diamonds Are Forever? Sure, everybody's heard that. And so, I decided to take that as a title today. Uh, in the form of a question, are diamonds really forever? And we're going to answer that a little bit later in the sermon. Because to be honest with you, I kind of felt like they were. Uh, but as we're going to see before we finish today, they're not, as it turns out. So uh, we'll get to that just a little bit later. I think really more than any other thing, I, I wanted to attach this title. So in the weeks and months and, and hopefully even years to come you'll have a little handle by which to recall this sermon this morning and um, have your faith um, restored and encouraged and built up in the days to come. A few moments ago, the choir was singing the song, I Believe It All. I want to read just a few of those words to you as we begin this today. The choir was singing, I believe that Jesus' blood has washed away my sin. I believe the Spirit keeps and guides me from within. Oh, I believe my soul is safe. And when I hear the call, I'll rise to live beyond the grave. Oh, I believe it what? All. I believe it all. From Genesis to Revelation, I believe it all. Now, I will. I would share with you today, and I, you've heard me say this before, so I don't think it's a surprise. But we're living in a time when people's... Faith and confidence in the Bible, uh, quite honestly, is very suspect. Even among pastors and clergymen, there are pastors who stand in the pulpit every Sunday in churches across America and different places in the world, and they will freely admit to you if you ask them that there are some things that are taught in the Word of God that they do not believe. Years ago, Years ago, when I was, well actually when I was much, much younger, and when my dad was my pastor. I remember him sharing a set of uh, uh, results of a survey and statistics, and it went kind of like this. The numbers of pastors who were surveyed who did not believe in the virgin birth were something like 80 to 85%. The numbers of pastors who did not believe that Jesus actually died and rose from the dead was a figure very similar to that. Now that's pathetic. As a matter of fact, my, my personal feelings are this. If a man doesn't believe what the book says, why don't you get out of the pulpit and do something else and let somebody who does believe what the Word says get up and talk about it. Amen? That's That to me is a no-brainer. I... Nor you have the right to take portions out of the word of God and say, well, I don't believe that. Now, I I believe all the rest of it, but I don't believe that part. Well, who gave you or me the right to select certain passages of scripture and say, I don't accept that part. I don't believe that part. That's that doesn't make any sense, does it? Because if we use that as our bar, if we use that as our standard, then anybody can take anything out that they don't particularly agree with and say, I don't accept that part, but I'll accept the rest of it. Well, I want you to know today, I believe it all. Amen? I hope you believe it all. If you do believe the Bible, the Bible is true from beginning to end, would you say amen? Amen. Well, I guess I'm in good company today. That's comforting. Turn with me in your Bible, if you would, to first Peter, or excuse me, 2 Peter. Second Peter chapter 1, we're going to read in just a moment, but I'm going to share some things with you. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I believe that. Do you? I believe that God created man in his own image after his likeness. That man had fellowship with God, that man walked with him and talked with him, that man is of great value to God, that man sinned, deliberately disobeyed God, that mankind is now lost, that he needs a savior in order to be reconciled to God. Anybody in agreement with me there? Amen. The wickedness of man increased. Sin ran rampant upon the earth. God was not pleased. And chose a man to build an ark whose name was Noah. And he preached for 120 years. Only Noah and his family survived. No one else believed. And the earth has since been repopulated by Noah and his family. If you believe that, say amen. God chose another man, Abraham by name. God said to him, get out of your country, leave your family, go to a land that I will show you. Here's what God promised Abraham. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. You will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Do you believe God did that for Abraham? Say amen. Abraham had a son named Isaac. Isaac had a son named Jacob. Jacob's name was changed to Israel. He had 12 sons. There we have the children of Israel. The Old tells them, The Old Testament tells us their story from the book of Genesis all the way through Malachi. And I believe every word of it. Do you? There was deliverance from Egyptian captivity led by Moses. And I believe that actually happened. There were conquests in the promised land led by Joshua. There were men and women whom God raised up repeatedly to bring God's people back to him after they had sinned. They were called judges. For about 400 or more years, God used that system to guide and give direction to his people. And then there was a period of the king, Saul, David, Solomon, and many others. God sent prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah who spoke at God's bidding. I believe everything the prophets have said. Do you? Jonah didn't want to go where God asked him to go and he ran away. God prepared a great fish who swallowed Jonah, who vomited him up on the shore. And all of a sudden, Jonah was willing to go. I believe that actually happened. Do you? I believe there was a great fish that God prepared, just like the Bible says. God sent these prophets and Jeremiah and all the others with a great message of salvation and help and sometimes warning to them. God spoke many times through the prophets about what was to come. We call that prophecy. He spoke in great detail, for example, about the coming of the Son of God, the Lamb of God, who was to take away the sins of the world. And here's what the prophets had to say about this Jesus who was to be born. He would be born of a virgin. Now, you think through that, what that actually means. But I believe it happened. The Bible says he was born in Bethlehem. I believe that. The Bible says that his name would be called. Now, this virgin bore a son. This son was born in Bethlehem. And the Bible says that this son would be called Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, Emmanuel. That is being interpreted, God with us. I believe that. I believe that that Savior, Jesus, when the fullness of time had come, he healed the sick, he raised the dead, he opened blinded eyes, he unstopped deaf ears, he cast out demons, he walked on water, he multiplied the loaves and the fishes, he calmed the storms, and he taught the people. He revealed to the people the love of God and the will of God. Do you believe that? Every miracle that's recorded in Scripture, I believe is true. I believe it actually happened. This man, Jesus, willingly went to Calvary's cross for us, was crucified, put in a tomb, rose from the dead, appeared to many, hundreds in fact, gave commandments to his followers, and was ascended into heaven, where he now sits at the right hand of God, having promised to come back to this earth again, having promised... To come back to this earth again, having promised to come back to this earth again, I believe it. Do you believe it? We're going to read about that in our text today. I don't usually read that much of my sermon, but I figured it was a whole lot quicker to do that than the cyphog on a, for an hour. That took about five minutes. So here we go. Second Peter chapter one, beginning in verse 16. Second Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 16. We're going to be talking for a moment about the Bible. The Apostle Peter says, For we did not follow cunningly devised fables. You know what a fable is, right? Story. Made up something. For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He's making reference to the time where he was there on top of the mountain and Jesus was transfigured. Peter continues in verse 17. For he, Jesus, received from God the Father honor and glory. When such a voice came to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And we heard his voice. Peter says, and we heard his voice, which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mount. That's pretty strong, isn't it? An eyewitness. Somebody was there. Somebody who saw the cloud. Somebody who heard the voice. Somebody who witnessed the whole thing. Peter says, I was there. I saw it. This is not a made up story. But then he goes on and he says something astounding to me. In verse 19, in the King James Version, it says, We have also a more sure word of prophecy, where until you you do well that you take heed. Let me ask you something. What can be more sure? What can be more sure than what you saw with your eyes and you heard with your ears? What can be more sure than that? The word of God. That's what he's saying. Sometimes you can't believe what you've seen and sometimes you can't trust what you've heard, but you can always trust the word of God. That's what he's saying. We have a more sure word of prophecy. That's the King James Version. And the New King James Version says it this way. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed. In other words, prophecy has been fulfilled. You can take that to the bank. You can trust that. That's a testimony that the Bible is inspired. Inspired, fulfilled prophecy is the, the strongest proof I know that the Bible is true. So many things have been prophesied by the prophets in the Old Testament that have now come true that I think a person would have to be blind or foolish or stubborn or something to reject all the proof that's there. You can trust the Bible. Now the reason I'm sharing this with you is because we're going to move forward now to chapter 3. And we're going to talk about some of the things that the Bible has prophesied concerning the last days. Chapter three. Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle. Obviously first Peter was the first epistle. Second Peter is what? You guys are listening. Thank you. But now I write to you this second epistle in both Of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets. Now I want you to know, here: a lot of people have the attitude with the Bible. Well I read the New Testament but I'm not going to read the Old Testament because that don't matter anymore. I'm going to tell you it matters greatly. But when Jesus was walking this earth and all the disciples were walking this earth, that's the only word of God we had was the Old Testament. The rest of it came along after Christ, the, the Gospels, the record of his life, the, the book of Acts, the record of the early church, the epistles sent by the apostles. We have that as the New Testament. It didn't exist then. And Peter is saying that word of God, that prophecy that was given, that's extremely important. That you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us. That includes us, he says, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first. Old Testament and New Testament point to the fact that scoffers will come in the last days. How many know what scoffers are? Nobody's raising your hand. How many do not know what scoffers are? Okay, some don't know what scoffers are. Here's what it is. You ever ever seen one person make fun of another person? Call them stupid. You don't know, Danny. That's, that's crazy. You believe you Christians believe in all this stuff. What's wrong with y'all? You don't even have a brain. That's a scoffer, a person who says that the Bible is phony that the person can't that the bible can't be believed that you're wasting your time going to church that you're a fool for paying tithes that all the things that we're taught in scripture that we should do that we are ignorant and because we believe the bible is true listen i i know it's uh i know it's a, it's well I don't know other than what I referred to in the Bible with the book of Jonah. I don't know anybody that's ever been swallowed by fish and vomited up on land and lived. Do you? And a lot of things in Scripture are miraculous things. They're supernatural things. They're they're things that it takes a degree of faith to believe. But the proof is so great that we choose we're going to accept by faith things which may even seem strange to us. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to believe the Bible. I'm not going to take things out of it that I don't particularly like. I'm not going to say, well, I believe this part, but I don't believe that. But we don't have that right. So I've just made up my mind. If whatever the Bible says, I'm going to accept it. I'm going to believe it. And But there are some people who are scoffers. Jesus is not coming. There are preachers who don't believe Jesus is coming. It's a shame. And those of you who believe the Bible and really believe it all, like we've been singing about and talking about, you will be made fun of and you will be scoffed at by some people. They will say you're crazy. The Bible tells us, yeah, there's scoffers. Scoffers will come in the last days. Walking according to their own lusts. And now there's a word we need to talk about for just a minute. When we see lust, most of us think probably of sexual lust. The word the word lust simply means desires. So we could loosen that word up a little bit. It would be helpful for us here. These people are walking according to their own lust, their own desires, their own opinions. And they're saying, where is the promise of his coming? You guys at the church, y'all been singing Jesus is coming soon for 50 years. And he's not here yet. Na, 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 You know what I'm talking about? That kind of attitude. You all are crazy. That's a scoffer. And the Bible says, there are people who will say, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep long ago, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. You guys talking about Jesus is coming and he's going to do this and he's going to do that. You all are just Full of hot air. That's a scoffer. But the Bible goes on to say about the scoffers, for this they will fully forget, they will fully forget this, that by the Word of God the heavens were of old. And the earth standing out of water and in the water, by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. But the we all read about the flood in the Bible, right? We understand Noah and what happened there and the people who were saved and why God did that and all. Verse 7 says, but the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved. Now, God destroyed the earth one time by flood. Now, remember, I believe it all. I believe it all. So I've got to believe in the flood and Noah and the ark and his eight sons and daughters and all the family, the eight people who were there on the ark. They were all saved. They were all spared. Everybody else died. I believe it all. Anybody with me? And so since that, the Bible promised that never again would he destroy the earth by flood. Did he not? And what did he do as a sign to show them and to promise them that would never happen? Put a rainbow in the sky as a reminder to them. Every time they saw it, they would know you don't have to sweat that again. He's never going to destroy the earth by flood again. But it never says the earth is never going to be destroyed. It's just not going to be by water. Even in this passage right here, the Bible says, But the heavens and the earth, earth, which are now preserved. Now let's stop right there. Oh, how quickly and casually we just read through scripture and we miss everything it says. Did you know that right now the earth is preserved? How many of you have ever made any preserves? Canned preserves, fruit, even vegetables. I know vegetables aren't preserves, but you can things. You preserve them by the process. Now, let me ask you this. How many have ever gone to the pantry after you preserved some things and you found wasn't one of them that wasn't preserved like it should have been. And it, it didn't work in that particular case. And those green beans are black or that meat smells or something that's supposed to be preserved, but it wasn't. To preserve means to, to keep something in, in good shape. Keep it functioning. Keep it good. Well, the Bible says the heavens and the earth are now preserved by the same word. Remember the rainbow and what God said? We'll take care of things. He says the, the whole earth is now preserved by that same word, but are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. Now, how many know what it means to reserve something? That's two different words. To preserve something is to keep it. Keep it whole. To keep it sound. Keep it good. To reserve something is... Well, it's no secret. Most of you know, Joy and I were away on vacation last week. Before we went, we we reserved motel rooms. We reserved a rental car to drive. And we reserved a couple of nights on a cruise ship. We reserved those things. That's futuristic, right? Before we ever went, we made plans for that. We reserved these things because we knew they were about to happen. We had to make arrangements to make those things happen. To preserve something is to keep it in good shape like it is. And that's what the Lord is doing with the earth right now. But the Bible says that it is reserved, reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. Do you get the difference? So there is a reservation for this earth. Am I right? There is something that God has planned for this earth. He has reserved this earth, according to this, for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. In other words, it's not going to happen until it's his time. But he's got something reserved for this earth and for ungodly men. Tell me amen if you believe it. And then the Bible says in verse 8, But beloved, do not forget this one thing. Now there's scoffers out there who will mock and make fun of you. Beloved, do not forget this one thing. That with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. You know, the Lord's not sitting around watching His watch like we are. Time doesn't make much difference to Him in a lot of respects. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some count slackness. But is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. In other words, the Lord is not all wrapped up in calendars and watches like we are. Besides, He's eternal, and to the Lord, a day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as a day. If Jesus was crucified two thousand years ago and we wanted to use this calculation, how long has it been the way God looks at it? Two days. It's not a big deal to Him. And so, the Bible says, as far as the time factor is concerned, that the Lord is not, is not willing that we would perish but is long-suffering toward us. Let me ask you this question. Think with me for just a moment. How, and I'd like for a show of hands, please. How many of you, if the Lord had come 20 years ago, if the rapture had happened 20 years ago, how many of you would have been caught unprepared and unsaved and would have been lost? Look at the hands. So the Lord is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish. And he's giving us more time so that more people can come to the Lord. So that more people can be spared from that awful place called hell. He's waiting and waiting and waiting because he loves people. That's what the Bible says. He's long-suffering toward us, not willing that should any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But there is an end to his mercy and his waiting. Right? So then we go to the next verse, verse 10, which says, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens. Listen, this is heavy language and I'm going to spend the rest of our time on this, but I want you to think with me. The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise. And the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved... If you would read that over and over and over and meditate on that, it would would do you good. For the last two weeks, I guess, I have thought of not much else but this passage of Scripture. I have researched, I have read, I'm going to share a lot of things with you over the next few moments. I I am just about sick to my stomach at the, the little weak preacher's. Who want to take this out of the word of God. And tell us it doesn't mean what it says. They will tell us well now that simply means that. That the law and everything's going to pass away. And all the law is is history. And we've moved on to something else. That's not talking about the law. That's talking about the heavens and the earth. Amen. And if we didn't have. But just these verses right here. It might cause us to kind of scratch our head a little bit and wonder and guess and some little bit of doubt might be, is that really what he meant, is meant to say? Is that really what's going to happen? Is that really what God has reserved for this world? If that was the only place in the Bible that this was talked about so plainly, we might be a little unsure of ourselves. But I'm, I'm getting ready to blow your mind. With what the Scripture says about this subject, I'm going to tell you it is not a novel idea in Scripture. It's not some little little message that squirreled away in a corner somewhere. It's not obscure, secret, seldom mentioned, or unimportant. This is a major biblical theme. What I've just shared with you is a major biblical theme. It will happen. Now, most of you know, some of you know, that for the first 20 years of my life, my father was my pastor. I heard him preach every Sunday, Sunday morning and Sunday night. I've heard hundreds of sermons that he's preached. And I can honestly say that of all the sermons he's ever preached, the one that sticks in my mind the most comes from this passage of scripture right here. I have never forgotten that sermon. Some of what I'm going to share with you today, he's the one that kind of opened the door for me to begin to investigate that over 40 years ago. And I want to share with you today, and I I, get, I say that today to give him the credit because he's the one who, who got me thinking along these lines and on these terms. And boy, the more I studied and the more I researched, I thought, this: why couldn't anybody see this? How can it be that anybody could deny this as we're going to see in scripture? Now, remember, we spent just a few moments ago in the book of first Peter chapter one, verses 16 through 21, talking about the trustworthiness of the word of God, the trustworthiness of the prophets. If you, if you got that with me, would you say amen? Okay, we're on the same page. I'm going to ask you to follow me. Take a trip with me through the word of God for just a few moments. The scriptures will be on the screen. Isaiah 65 verses 17 and 18. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth. And the former shall not be remembered or come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I create. Now, I, I've got to be honest with you. I've read the Bible through several times. And when I read this this week in preparation for this sermon, I couldn't believe what it was reading. I would almost think that he he just slipped that in there this week. I don't ever remember seeing that before. Oh, yeah, I remember the part about the new heavens and the new earth. I even remember the part about the former shall not be remembered or come to mind. But I don't ever remember reading that part about what's to happen in the future, but be glad and rejoice forever in what I create. I want to tell you today, if you're a child of God, a born again believer in Jesus Christ, you have no fear or dread of what we're talking about today. You can be glad and rejoice in what God is going to create. You're not going to be here in that devastation. You're not going to be here in this catastrophic event. You're not going to participate in this. It's what's going to happen to the earth and scoffers and ungodly men. But God is going to take his people out of this world before what we're reading about is coming. But what we're reading about is coming. And we're going to talk about before we finish today if that's true. Then how important it is for every single one of us to live godly and holy and righteously before God. Because the time is coming that he's going to destroy this world as we know it. Oh, it's, it's going to make it so plain. Be glad and rejoice forever in what I create. Isaiah 66, verse 22, for as the new heavens and the new earth, which I will make, shall remain before me, says the Lord. Notice it's the new heavens and the new earth, which I will make, shall remain before me, says the Lord. So shall your descendants and your name remain. We're going to, uh, we believe we have eternal life, right? Not only do we have eternal life, we're going to have an eternal home. But it's not this one that we live on now. That's all messed up. With sin and the curse of sin. Isaiah, excuse me. Psalm 75 verses 2 and 3. Oh, this is so revealing. Scripture says, when I choose the proper time. Notice that. When I choose the proper time, I will judge uprightly. The earth and all its inhabitants... Are dissolved. Wow. Hebrews chapter 1 verses 10 and 12. 10 through 12 says. You Lord. In the beginning. Laid the foundation of the earth. And the heavens. Are the work of your hands. They will perish. Did you get that? He made the heavens and the earth. But he says. They will perish. Perish. But you remain. Now you continue in the next verse. And they will grow old like a garment. Like a cloak you will fold them up. And they will be changed. But you are the same. And your years will not fall. How many of you have a pair of jeans. A jacket. A coat. A pair of socks even. That you have worn. And you have worn. And you have worn. And then finally, you come to the conclusion, it's just time to shed that garment and change and get another one. Anybody ever done that? I've had jeans that were so holy, I had to get rid of them. That's right. And I just take them off, cast them aside, and change. The Bible says that's, boy, God is a big God. The Bible says that's the way God's going to do this earth. One of these days, he's going to look at it and say, I don't even want that anymore. It's time for a change. And he's going to take it and fold it up and lay it aside. is the language that's used here so they can understand. it's It's gone. It's time for change. I'm going to do something else. But you are the same. And your years will not fail. Isaiah 51 verse 6. It says, lift up your eyes to the heavens and look on the earth beneath, for the heavens will vanish away like smoke. The earth will grow old like a garment, and those who dwell in it in like manner. That is the people who are still on the earth, the people who don't know the Lord, the people who scoffed, the people who rejected God. Now, the earth's going to grow old like a garment, and those who dwell in it will die in like manner. But my salvation will be forever. Aren't you glad you're saved? Bible says in Psalm 102, verses 25 and 26, Of old you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will endure. The Bible says concerning a witness in a court situation. The Bible says let let every word be established in the mouth of two or three witnesses. I've given you more than two or three. Right? All saying the same thing. All talking about the same subject. Yes, they will all grow old like a garment. Like a cloak you will change them. And they will be changed. But you are the same and your years Have no end. Now you're familiar with these. But maybe you've never connected it. With this particular passage. Matthew 24 verse 35. Heaven and earth will pass away. Jesus said. But my words. Will by no means pass away. Mark 13 31. Says the same thing. Luke 21 33. Says the same thing. Word for word. Heaven and earth will pass away. But my words will by no means pass away. Revelation 21 verse 1. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were what? They're gone. They're passed away. May I share with you today that uh, God never intended that his word be so complicated that you had to have a PhD to understand it. Amen. No, that's not what God intended. God intended us to be able to read his word and get the message. And understand what he was trying to to have us understand and know about the future. You don't have to be an expert. You don't have to be someone who's gone to seminary. You don't have to be someone who is a preacher. All you need to do is love God and read the Bible. And the Bible says that the Spirit of God will teach you and guide you. Joy and I had the opportunity while we were going to stop in Charleston, South Carolina. We toured there a plantation. Still active, operating plantation. The actual buildings were there. That were slave houses. I read this week. Part of a song that was written by a slave. Here's what it says. God gave Noah the rainbow sign. No more water. The fire next time. Now I'm going to tell you there's insight right there. Just plain and simple. Simple. From somebody not theologically trained. God gave Noah the rainbow sign. No more water. The fire next time. There was a flood. But never again. That type of flood to destroy the whole earth. We just need to read the Bible. And believe what it says folks. The most abundant element. As you read. This passage we have read there, you'll see the word element there. A couple of different places. In verse 10, the Bible says, The heavens will pass away with great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Again, later in verse 12, the Bible says, The heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. This is what I remember my dad pointing out when he was preaching this same passage over 40 years ago. That has stuck with me ever since. Did quite a bit of research the last few days. And I hope I can explain this to you. So you can understand it. Because my mind doesn't click in these terms. But I want to share with you that the most abundant element... You studied elements in school, right? Elements are the building blocks upon which the whole earth is built. Elements. The most abundant element in the universe. Now, let's all get on the same page here with universe. Universe includes the earth and the atmosphere and the sun and the moon and the stars and the galaxies The whole bottle of wax, what God created. That's the universe. All of it. We are told that the most abundant element in the universe is hydrogen. The chemical symbol for hydrogen is H2. And hydrogen is a highly flammable diatomic gas. Hydrogen. The most abundant element in our atmosphere, let's get on the same page there. Now we're not talking about sun, moon, and stars. We're talking about that air that's just above us where the clouds are and the rain is, the atmosphere. The most abundant element in our atmosphere is nitrogen. The chemical designation is N2. It is a diatomic gas making up about 78% of the Earth's atmosphere. That's a whole lot, isn't it? A whole lot of nitrogen out there in the atmosphere. And we're told when the nitrogen bond has first been broken and the atoms are free to form new compounds, these formation reactions can be extremely exothermic and explosive. And all you need to do is think TNT, which is dynamite, and nitroglycerin. We recognize those as explosive elements. We'll talk more about that idea of being um, broken apart here in just a few moments. The most abundant element in the Earth's crust, we're coming back to where we walk on now. The most abundant element in the Earth's crust is oxygen, 46.6%. The chemical designation is O2. You all know I'm ignorant, but I'm going to prove it now. I thought oxygen was flammable. Anybody else thought oxygen was flammable? I did. But it's not. Oxygen is not flammable. Oxygen itself is not flammable. It makes other things ignite at a lower temperature, burn hotter and faster. But oxygen itself does not catch fire. It makes fire burn quicker, hotter and faster. But itself, it does not burn. That's from the experts as all this information is. Think on this. 71% 71% of the Earth's surface is water. Tell me the chemical designation for water. Exactly. One molecule of water equals or has in it two hydrogen atoms and one oxygen atom. And that makes H2O. Well, as long as it's H2O... Everything's fine. We can go swimming. We can take a drink to refresh ourselves. We can take a bath to clean ourselves. I like to even go to H2O to catch fish. What about you? I love H2O. But there's something that science calls fusion and fission. Fusion and fission. Fusion means to to bring things together. Fission means the act of splitting something apart. Now these are scientific things and and I kind of struggle with that sometimes. I'm certainly not an expert. That's why I've gone to the experts for these definitions today. Fusion means to bring things together. Fission means the act of splitting something apart. I've got to tell you today that that God is the expert at bringing things together. He really is. We're going to see that in just a moment from Scripture. The word nuclear, however, we've heard of nuclear war, nuclear other things. Nuclear simply means of relating to producing or using energy that is created when the nuclei of atoms are split apart or joined together. So when you start messing with the composition of things the way that God made them, all kind of different things can happen. Now some of those things are good things perhaps and some of them are going to be very bad things. But when you you know that's what we're doing right with nuclear warheads and and creating power with the nuclear power plants we're we're taking these some of these things we're talking about and we're breaking those molecules apart and we're separating what like the H2O separating separating the H from the O we're we're taking what God has created and we're taking it apart and it's doing other things that he never intended it or designed it to do it, at least at creation at creation for instance God created for us air. Aren't you thankful for air? You ever been in a position where you couldn't breathe? Had your breath knocked out of you or something and you couldn't catch your breath? Oh, that's a frightening thing, isn't it? Thank God for air. He, God created air for us to breathe. And here's the way he did it. He takes, He takes air that we breathe... And we breathe air in, and our body extracts from that air oxygen, which our body needs. And it gives us the ability to function and keep going. And then when we breathe out, we breathe carbon dioxide out, which the plants need in order to live. And then the Lord shines the sunlight down on the carbon dioxide and the plants, and it makes the... Trees turn green through something we call photosynthesis. There's all kinds of chemical things happening all the time that we take for granted. Was it not a smart God? Think about this. That's genius, wasn't it? To, to create things so that we breathe the oxygen out of the air and, and breathe out carbon dioxide. But the plants need the carbon dioxide, and they take that and they put out oxygen. And we keep each, we keep each other going. we keep each other healthy and working. see he's a he's a, a God who's just so marvelous in the way he does things. Colossians one verse sixteen says, For by him, it's talking about Jesus here. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on the earth. Visible and invisible. All things were created through him and for him. He created all these things. Hebrews 1 verse 3 has something here I want you to really catch. Who being the brightness of his glory. Now we're talking about here uh, Jesus Let's, let's take this apart for just a minute. Look at near the end of that verse. Look at where the Bible says, when he had by himself purged our sins, who did that? Jesus. He's the one who hung on the cross. He's the one who shed his blood, right? So we're, we're talking about Jesus when he had by himself purged our sins and he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Is there any doubt we're talking about Jesus? No doubt whatsoever. So the the first of the verses says, who, talking about Jesus. Jesus is the brightness of the Father's glory and the express image of the Father's person. Now, to understand that we're talking about Jesus, now look what the Bible says. And upholding all things by the word of his power, or we could say, upholding all things by the power of his word. Or we could say holding all things together by the power of his word. Which is what the next verse on our screen says. Colossians 1.17. And he is before all things. And in him all things consist. And that word consists there. I looked it up this morning. I hadn't done that until, until just this morning. It means if I were to bring Cheryl up here and and bring... Uh, Peggy up here and they didn't know each other and I would say to them hi Cheryl this is Peggy and Peggy this is Cheryl and I would introduce you to one another and then I would let you sit down and spend some time together become friends and get to talking that's that's the definition of the word consist an introducer to place together to hold together or to be formed a friendship could be formed there. That's what the word consist actually points to. That's why 17 versions of the scripture word it this way. And he is before all things and in him all things are held together. Does that make sense? Of course we know from common sense, don't we, that God is holding things together. That's not even a mystery to us. We know that, but I want us to see that the scripture actually addresses that, and the scripture actually shares that, that He holds things together. Now I had this, I had this kind of a, well y'all know I'm weird anyway. I had this weird vision pop in my mind yesterday morning. I was getting ready for the day, standing in the, in the bathroom, washing my face, getting ready, shaving, whatever. And I, I just, in my mind, I honestly saw a golf ball sitting on a tee. And I thought, oh my goodness, that's a, that's exactly what's going on. Because I, I am not a golfer, okay? I've played golf quite a bit through the years. Uh, Joyce's father played golf When I met her, and he got me playing golf, and all through the years, I've I've got a set of clubs right now in the garage. hadn't been out for years, but whenever somebody in church says, "Hey, you want to go play golf?" If they don't want to go fishing, I'll go play golf with them. (laughs) I'm not any good at it, but I've been around a lot of times, and we'd be walking down the golf course, and we'd you know it'd be a crowded day, and everybody's on the golf course, and we have to stand there. Um, and wait our turn because there would be people teeing off. We have to stand there and wait our turn. Then when they get through, they walk off a little ways and we still can't hit because if I hit, I'm going to hit somebody in the head. Here's sure the world. So we have to wait for a while for them to get out of the way. And so while we're waiting, we're drinking our Pepsi and our Coke or whatever. And sometimes we'll, you all have done this. Some of you have. We'll walk up on the on the, the flat area there, the tee box. And we'll put a tee in the ground and we'll put our ball on it. And we'll get it ready. Then we'll go back to the golf cart and take a sip of Pepsi waiting for them to finally get out of the way so we can hit a ball. And so you would see a sight like that perhaps. Your ball is on the ground. It's it's on a tee sticking in the ground. It's ready for you to hit, but you can't hit yet. It's not time. Because if you hit, sure as the world, you're going to pop somebody. So you Wait. You wait until the time is right and then you step up to that ball and you take that swing and you hit that thing just as hard as you can hit it when the time is right. And then it dawned on me. That's exactly where this world is right now. I believe that God has this world teed up right now. I believe these are the last days. I know for a fact That what the Bible says is going to happen to this earth is going to happen to this earth. I believe the time is getting short. I don't know how it's going to be. Listen, all God has to do is poke his finger in this ball we call earth and release some of that magna. And then take his hand away from it and let all these things separate instead of hold them together. And we're going to have the biggest kaboom you've ever seen in your life. And scripture is going to be filled, and fulfilled as the heavens are going to be burned up. And the elements are going to be burned up. And all things are going to dissolve. And it's going to be the, the biggest. Well, it would be, as far as the earth is concerned, it be the biggest thing that's ever happened since creation. And then, that's not the end. And then, there's going to be a new heaven And a new earth. And the Bible said. Do you know what the Bible said? We read this just a few moments ago. The very first scripture we looked at. On the screen. Isaiah 65 17. Remember I want to read it to you one more time. For behold I create new heavens. And a new earth. And the former shall not be remembered. Or come to mind. And what's our attitude about that? The Bible says. But be glad and rejoice. Forever. In what I create. It's going to happen. Now. It could be that God's going to. As I say. Poke his finger in the earth. And let out some of that magma volcanoes or whatever. And and ignite that whole thing. It may not be that way though. It may be that the Lord will touch some man's heart. Not even understanding what he's doing. Like he did Nebuchadnezzar in the Old Testament. And bring him in to do his bidding it may be someday that the Lord will touch a world ruler and they push that feared button that all of us know about and there's a nuclear war that initiates this. I don't know how it's going to happen. All I know is it's going to happen. You can take it to the bank. And I'm sorry. I feel sorry for the preachers and the intellectuals who don't believe God's word And try to dismiss this as fear-mongering and all kinds of things. I'm going to tell you, God's Word says it very plainly and repeatedly. It's going to happen. I also want to remind you that if your heart is right with God, you don't have to worry about it. Because you won't be here. Which is why, as we close, I want to bring your attention... In this particular scripture to the passage as we read here. Beginning at verse 11. First, second Peter three, the Bible says, therefore. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved. What manner of persons ought you to be. In holy conduct and godliness. Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God. Because of which the heavens will be dissolved. Being on fire. And the elements will melt with fervent heat. I want to read that one more time. What manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God. Holy conduct and godliness. Holy conduct and godliness. Tell me this. Does it matter how you live? It does matter how you live. It absolutely does. I think you would agree with me that our world is in a mess. Our country is in a mess. Some of our lives are in a mess. We're going to, as we close this service today, sing this prayer to the Lord. We need his help. We need him to open our eyes. We need him to give us understanding. We need to take the word of God seriously. Would you stand with me?
2: Lord, hear I cry. Lord, hear I cry. Come, here, land. Breathe life into His dry and thirsty soul. from
3: And you feel like that uh, maybe a few moments at the altar talking to the Lord might be a good thing for you now. Asking the Lord maybe for forgiveness of sin. Asking the Lord perhaps forgiveness for not being as um, concerned about spiritual things as you should be. Or thanking the Lord for His Word, which is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. As we sing the chorus, just a couple times through, if you desire prayer, I would invite you to come.
2: Open the
3: blind eyes, unlock the
2: deaf ears, come to your peace. charge